0: The middle of our series of walking through Proverbs. Uh, if you've been with us since the beginning, uh, we gave a little reading assignment. Uh, if you've joined us since then and don't little have that little card, there's some in the back. Um, but we've just been walking through Proverbs, giving the uh, kind of summer assignment of read a proverb chapter a day while we kind of go through this, and uh, hopefully you've been getting a lot out of it. Uh, as I read through Proverbs, I often get an image of this two-sided coin. When you're reading the Proverbs, uh, it can get very rhythmical, but it seems like it changes from subject to subject to subject to subject uh, as you go along reading the bulk of Proverbs. And so I sometimes get this kind of—you see one side, and then you get—you see the other side. Perspective really is an amazing thing. I remember going to my father. When I became a father, I don't know if you had this conversation, uh, but I went to my dad and I, and it was like I get, I get what you were trying to do when I was growing up, like almost to all, almost to an apology. I'm sorry I was such a snot-nosed kid. <laughs> I get what you were trying to do, and there becomes a little more compassion towards. Uh, but perspective's everything, right? As you're a kid, it's just like, man, parents are always the fun sponge. Well, usually one parent's the fun sponge, one's the greasy wheel. But anyway, uh, that's another message. So, uh, but perspective is an amazing thing. Parents, children. uh, Think of another uh, bosses, employees, very different perspective when it comes to that business, two sides of the coin. In this day and age, we live in a combative culture. We have lost the art of seeing the other side, of seeing things from other people's perspective. And not only the art of weighing differing perspectives against one another, but also for some, being able to weigh that against God's Word and God's will and God's way, and learning and discovering through wisdom how to navigate life. And there's a view that we each have in interacting with the world that we live in, and then there's God's perspective. There's our human perspective, and then there's God's perspective. And one of the purposes of traveling through Proverbs is to allow God's vantage point to become the driver of your whole life. That there is the objective point of view, which is God's point of view, God's Word. When established believers, even established believers, sometimes we come to find out that the perspectives that we've had for so long may not be as biblical as we once thought. Perspective can change. We can lose the humility to say, man, I've got blind spots. And so, as we've been walking through this series, it's, it's been a little uh, echoed cry of Solomon's father I think we brought this up, it's uh, Psalm 139, Lord, would you give me a teachable spirit? And that would be kind of our heart cry as we walk through this series, God, give me a teachable spirit. David said this, search me, O God, and know my heart, test me and know my thoughts, point out anything in me that offends you, and lead me along the path of everlasting life. It's one of, in my opinion, one of the most key verses in all of the Scripture, This verse anchors us in the reality of the world in which we live. You are not God. You don't have the authority or ability to dictate what is right and wrong. That there is a God. There there is a creator. And we're beseeching him. God, search us. Let our heart cry. Be like David. God, search our heart. Give us that 30,000-foot view perspective from God's perspective. Well, that's probably one of the aspects of prayer that, that you, you should be gleaning from your time with the Lord, is that when I spend time with Him, I get His perspective. I bring all that I am, my own perspective, my own drama, my own throw up onto the Lord of how I'm seeing things. But as I spend time with Him, as you spend time with Him, it should be replaced With God's perspective. And you can see that flow in Psalm after Psalm after Psalm. David comes, he's like, Lord, where are you? (laughs) But by the time he gets to the end of the Psalm, he's like, God's always there. He's so faithful. His unending love never fails. And so last week, according to our little reading schedule, we were kind of camped out in chapters 14 to 20, just as a point of reference. And so I wanted to zero in on a section in there and uh, eat the meat on the bone. Amen. Let's pray. We need them. Um, Lord Jesus, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that when your word is preached, God, that faith increases. Because, God, we begin to align our life with you and God, I pray that this morning, God, you would help us align our lives with you and your will for us and your design for us. Because, Lord, we know as we get synced up with that design, God, you and I, God, we come alive in you. And that's our heart's desire. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I wanted to zero in on a, on a, a section of verses that actually kind of play together. A lot of times, verses in Proverbs don't, but these do. So, Proverbs 16, we're going to start in verse 2. Proverbs 16, verse 2. It says, All the ways of a man are clean and innocent in his own eyes, and he may see nothing wrong with his actions. Where I'm going to go, uh, I'm using the amplified version. Uh, I don't know if you've ever gone through an amplified version. It's a little bit of an old-school version. Uh, But I like how how this uh, uh, flowers it out a little bit more than just the normal text. So it's a little bit, uh, what's in parentheses, a little bit added, but it should uh, kind of give us a, a little more proper flavor. So that's what the parentheses are. Anyway, probably weren't wondering about that. Let's dive in again. All right. All the ways of a man are clean and innocent in his own eyes, and he may see nothing wrong with his actions. But the Lord weighs and examines the motives and intents of the heart and knows the truth. There's this general assertion here of what we all know to be true, that we as human beings have a strange power of blinding ourselves to what is broken and wrong in ourselves and in our actions. We can't truly estimate ourselves More often than not, we possess a double standard in our brokenness. We can have the notion of right and wrong that we apply to our neighbors that's very different from the right or wrong we apply to ourselves. In other words, we judge others by their actions and behavior, and at the same time, we judge ourselves by our intentions. Very different. Because we kind of... We kind of know our intentions. We, we didn't mean to mess up. We didn't want that to happen. We, we didn't. And so we give ourselves a pass, and as we live life, we begin to continually put a little callous over those blind spots that everything I'm doing is right and good and clean, and see, and may see nothing wrong with our actions, and we can tend to excuse behavior in ourselves that we wouldn't accept as good or healthy In others. We all as humans have this rationalizing tendency in ourselves to think that we're good. But here, the Scripture says, no, 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 that's a false, that is a deception. That is a lie that humanity in our brokenness, we're prone to believe because it's much easier to admit that Or believe that than to admit that we're broken and in need of an outside Savior to come and heal our brokenness. And so the cure for this lies in the knowledge of the back half of this verse that God Himself, the Creator of all things, He's the one that weighs and examines the motives and intentions of our heart. The things that we can keep hidden to other people is all laid bare before Him. Nothing escapes his purview. And therefore, verse 3, he says, commit your works to the Lord. Submit and trust them to Him, and your plans will succeed if you respond to His will and guidance. Commit your way. There's this, in the Hebrew, there's this image of rolling on your burdens upon. So, when you commit your way, it's as if you're rolling your burdens upon Him. Reminds me of, uh, I don't know what age this is, but in between two and four, um, kids can tend to get uh, possessive, and sometimes uh, you'll find kids uh, picking up a lot of things, a lot of things that they like and own, and trying to hold it all at one time because they want to carry around all their fun stuff. And they never want to be without all their fun stuff, whether it be a doll or crayons or whatever, and... Uh, and it's interesting, sometimes, you know, the, as, as kids develop, a parent comes along, sees the child struggle, and, hey, Johnny, can I help you? No, 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 I got it. I got it. I got it. I don't need help. I don't need help. Now, that is a wonderful part of child development to where, to where there's, there's this, uh, there's this belief, beginning belief that, that I can do this, and that's a wonderful thing. But it's not a wonderful thing when you see that same thing expressed as an adult and having the same attitude of, no, 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 I got it. I got it. I don't need any help. I got it. And whether it be a cultural pressure, a familial pressure, or just our own pressure that we would put on ourselves, we're weighed down by life. And we still have this kind of dug-in-heel attitude. I got it. I don't need help. Here, the, song, the proverb says, commit your works to the Lord and your plans will succeed. God's not interested in tweaks, but in transforming you by taking up residence in you and renovating you from the inside out. And that all happens, as that happens, the plans and purposes of God begin to well up within you. As you roll your ways onto the Lord. That's where God can bring transformation so that you might be oriented towards Him and glorify Him. Now, you might say, man, I did that once. Man, I did that. I remember when I committed my way to the Lord. It was this date or in this season. I remember that. I I, I committed my way to the Lord. But have you done it today? Jesus said, unless those who come after me take up their cross daily and follow me this is a continual continuing to put your burdens upon him upon god where where are you directing me god where are you leading me god what are you doing in this season of my life and this interaction this insight this wisdom happens as you talk and hear from god A lot of times people think prayer is just this monologue to God just kind of throwing up our wishes. If you're a follower of Jesus, He puts His Holy Spirit in you and you commune with God. And there's nothing so powerful than stripping off our besetting sins and brokenness, than going to God with the honest petition, search me, know me, I commit my ways unto you. And if you and I as sons and daughters would do that, you would get answers that would startle, responses that would humble you, and a life that would be blessed, bringing light to the hidden things, and after they're brought into the light and dealt with, people would see the good life and deeds that flow from a life that's yielded to God, and they praise their Father in heaven. Verse 4, it says, "'The Lord has made everything for His own purposes, even the wicked for punishment,' The creator is also the judge. Sometimes in our comfortable American life, the thought of God being judge is something to be kind of uh, put aside. We don't really need that God of judgment in our life of affluence. But go to the two-thirds world that's suffering under corruption, and there's this heart cry. God, we're crying out for the judge to come and bring justice. Judgment is a good thing. The Lord has made everything for himself. Those who are evil, they will be judged. There are no loose ends in the judgment of God. I heard that line this last week and I was like, boom, that was really good. There are no loose ends. God ties it all up. He's a just judge, and he'll judge justly. It reminds me of the story of Abraham when he said to the Lord before he judged Sodom in Genesis 18, he says, Surely you wouldn't do such a thing, destroying the righteous along with the wicked. Why, you would be treating the righteous and the wicked exactly the same. Surely you wouldn't do that. Should not the judge of all the earth do what is right? The God of all the earth does right by judging the wicked in their wickedness. And we experience this tension when corrupt people go unpunished. There's a lot of examples. And there's this cry that emerges, God, may you judge justly. And the fact is, is that we are all weighed in the balance and found wanting. All humans. And it's really only Jesus that is the only one that has the authority to tip the scales proverbs 16 it says everyone who's proud and arrogant in heart who checks this anyone who's proud and arrogant in heart is an abomination and exceedingly disgusting to the lord whoa be assured he will not go unpunished by mercy and truth not superficial ritual sin is covered and by the fear of the lord one avoids evil when a man's ways please the lord he makes even his enemies Be at peace with him. Man, what a promise. Being pleasing brings peace. These three verses kind of form a little self contained unit that kind of tell us some important things. Well, verse 7 it says, A man's ways, when a man's ways please the Lord, he even makes his enemies be at peace with him. But it tells us in verse 5 what's not pleasing to the Lord. What's not pleasing, it says everyone who's proud and arrogant in heart, is an abomination. It's this image of, yeah, I won't make the noise, because sometimes that makes people gag. We don't want a chain reaction. But that's what that word signifies. The Lord gags on arrogance. And we can live in such a way as, I don't need God, just like that little child. I don't need God. The proud heart tries to live independently from the Lord. (laughs) And when you think about the thought of that, it becomes laughable. Who's who's the one that gives you the air you breathe? (laughs) I mean, anyway. But this proud and arrogant heart being an abomination, there's this illusion Back to the Tower of Babel, where where a group and a large part of humanity with proud and arrogant hearts united together to try to topple God's dominion over planet Earth. They wanted to break free from his divine order. And it's so funny. Language like that has carried through time and history. And you see the same type of language emanate out of places like the World Economic Forum, of we are here to kind of impose another form of order upon humanity. But let's be consistent. We can look out in the world and judge their proud and arrogant hearts that they're an abomination unto God, but yet the Lord says, first take the log out of your own eye." Before you take the splinter out of another, and so we too can have these proud and arrogant hearts as well, and I think we know what that's like. I think we all have a flavor and memories. But it says, "In mercies and truth, in mercy and truth, atonement's provided for sin; is covered." Speaks of the mercy seat in Yom Kippur. Festival that happens every year in the Jewish calendar in which a um, blood of a killed animal to forgive the people of sin is slain over the mercy seat. And it's this picture of it's who Jesus is. He's the atonement. That word atonement, it means at-one-ment. It means bringing together that which was was separated, atonement. That's what Jesus came to do, to bring you together back with God. But you've got to drop your pride and arrogance to do so. And it says, by the fear of the Lord, that means His new Holy Spirit and that compass that He gives you and places in you, in light of our own dependence upon our lives, we keep our feet from evil. In other words, it's a fear of grieving God's heart If you were to kind of rephrase what the fear of the Lord is, it's that you're afraid to grieve God's heart. And that becomes a compass that I'm not going to do anything that grieves God's heart, and that's why it keeps your feet from evil. Then in verse 8, it says, Better is a little righteousness than great income gained with injustice. We can make our plans as we journey through life. But the Lord directs our steps and establishes them. Mm. Better is a little righteousness than great income gained with injustice. It's encouragement to be directed in righteousness It's better to have a little with a clean conscience and a pure heart than to have much from dishonest means without justice, to cut corners, to violate your conscience, in Hollywood, it's pretty popular, even sell your soul, to get there a little faster, make little shortcuts. The real reason why people do that is because they're scared. They're scared to actually trust God pulling through in their lives. And so they, they take that back and they try to make their own way. Here's this encouragement better is to a little with Righteousness than much with injustice. So may the Lord... And then it says, we make our plans, but the Lord directs our steps. Now there's this interplay between man's responsibility and God's sovereignty. And I didn't want to get all up in that, so that's why I didn't weave it throughout. But there's there's this tension. What's our responsibility? And what does God do? And that's this interplay. We make our plans, God help us make our plans, not we make our plans, the Lord hopes that it can just kind of double blessing on it. No, no, no. As you commit your way to the Lord, the Lord begins making plans with you. And those plans, as you walk with Him, as you journey through life, the Lord directs our steps and establishes them. Love that. I felt led to kind of end just with this verse. Ephesians 3.20, Now all glory to God, who is able through His mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might dare to ask or think. Glory to Him in the church and in Jesus Christ through all generations forever and ever. This is a beautiful life that God has called you to, but one that requires humility, one that requires being dependent upon the God that made you. But if you were to yield those areas in your heart, the ones that you're kind of holding on to, if you were to yield those to Him, God gives in exchange something much greater than you could ever dream. And that's the exchange that God desires to give every person on planet Earth. And He wants to work through you and I to do that out in the world, working with Him, making plans with Him, doing exploits with Him. I love that second song that we sang, that God would restore our faith, that the God who does the impossible things would do them again through us. Man, I I maybe have some testimonies next week. I just heard one this morning. Anyway, it was so good. God's alive and active and moving in and through us. Amen? So let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you, God, for your word that anchors our soul. God, we pray that we would live lives that echo these scriptures. God, that we wouldn't be people that would be deceived, but ones that are anchored in truth. Father, that we would be ones that would roll everything, every part of us onto you to say, God, have your way with us. May we be a living sacrifice lived unto you and for your glory. And Father, we thank you that you're a just judge and that God, that there's no loose ends in that judgment. But Father, may we be humble and not arrogant of heart. And God, if there's any places in our life where, man, when when that arrogant of heart got brought up. God, if there's any area in our life that needs to be yielded to you, that we're still holding on to, that we're still trying to be God over, that we're still trying to be Lord and director of, God, I pray that right now we would hand that over to you in the name of Jesus. If there's anything in there, just hand it over to him right now. And God, as you take this, Lord, we just, in our hearts, God, we just repent of falling into agreement with this, of giving this greater allegiance or place in our life than you. And Father, we yield to you. We yield to your leadership and your lordship, your friendship and your kingship. Father, we pray that you would restore and heal our relationship. Make it full. Make it vibrant. Make it flourishing, because God, that's what you've designed a life for us to live. No matter what the circumstances are around us, God, that we would be living a life that's from the inside out, that the Holy Spirit's life would just flow through us to the lives of our families, to our children, to our coworkers. Lord, be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, stay cool out there. We'll see you next Sunday. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman He's called you to be now and to see His kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org, and we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.